Welcome to the Boys Turner podcast. I'm Rowan Turrell and I'm the head of dispute resolution at Boys Turner. And I'm bringing you this special edition of the podcast from the Caledonian Club in London, where we've been hosting an event called Building Growth and Efficiency for In-House Legal Teams. This episode is going to give you a taste of one of the three panels that took place today, which was called AI for In-House Teams, Opportunity or Risk or Both. This panel was hosted by Sarah Williamson, who's the Head of Commercial and Technology at Boyce Turner, and she was joined by Andrew Cook, who's the General Counsel of Travelperk, Harry Borovic, the General Counsel of Luminance, and Joanna Goodman, Tech Journalist and Law Society columnist. In a moment, you'll hear from Joanna and Sarah reflecting on their earlier conversation, but first, here Good are some highlights everybody. from the panel itself. Um, thanks for joining us for our final panel session of the afternoon. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, we've just spent half an hour in our um, little room talking about AI already, so um, I think there's going to be lots of questions from my panellists. Um, so we're now looking at AI for in-house teams, opportunity or risk, or perhaps both. Um, and I'm delighted to be joined on the stage by my panellists, who have a wealth of knowledge and experience on all things tech and AI. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, AI is probably very much a hot topic at the moment. It really has come to the forefront, probably because of the launch of ChatGPT um, in last year. Um, in the room, we've probably got um, an array of experience of um, AI from those who do use it, from those who think they should use it, but they're not quite sure where to start, and from those who are, quite frankly, terrified of it um, and want to run a mile. Um, I was reading a survey that was carried out by Thomson Reuters Institute in March of this year, um, when they looked at sort of attitudes towards generative AI and chat GPT within law firms. And it found that only 5% of those surveyed are actually using generative AI or have plans to introduce it. And the report described the approach to AI as cautious. Probably not really that surprising when you're surveying a bunch of lawyers because we naturally are quite cautious, aren't we? Um, a respondent to the survey, I thought this was quite interesting, actually said... The use of technology to do tasks historically performed by a human was an affront to the legal profession, which is based on the intelligence, advocacy, and compassion of human minds for which a computer, technology, or app can never replace. So there we go. Okay, so just to start then, um, maybe a question for Harry and Andy um, in terms of how you use AI in your daily life as an in-house counsel. If I start, Andy. We've been using generative AI tools since March. And we quite often get asked, how do we get more AI into our workflow, right? And I would say, just as a start point, that is the wrong question to ask, okay? Your approach to this should be, what am I trying to achieve? What's the, what things can I do in order to get there? Is technology one of those things? And if technology is one of those things, is AI the right technology for us to use, right? And I think that's an important point to make. There is this rush now for everybody to pull rabbits out of hats, right, to show that they are now AI-powered, right? And we've seen this internally. Our, our board and our first board meeting this year was like, what are you doing with generative AI? Everyone has something. You've got to have something just to stay in the conversation. Um, don't uh, Resist that pressure to specifically include AI in your workflow, but do embrace the possibility of technology and how it allows you to go upstream, add value, bring happiness to the people, uh, to you and the people who work with you and those kind of things. So that's all I just wanted to say. If you're feeling this sense of pressure or worry that the horse has already gone over the horizon, the stable door has now been bolted, there's a party going on that you're not part of, whatever it is, okay, 
resist that in relation to AI, but do accept the need to embrace the possibilities of technology and go from there. So that's the, I just wanted to sort of set that scene. How are we using it? We're using it to answer repeated queries. That's the original use case. So every in-house team in the whole of the world gets asked many questions repeatedly. And, and I'll give you an example of that. Who's authorized to sign this document? What's the registered address of this company? Like real simple stuff. And we were already using non-AI powered chatbots to do that work before generative AI really turned up. So we'd already started to build on-demand answers to those questions to get those tickets off the desk of my lawyers who didn't go to law school to answer those kind of questions, right? Low value return, so we were getting rid of that. What we've seen, and I can expand on this when I start talking, um, what, what we've seen is, as generative AI's capabilities have improved, we've been able to take upstream the value proposition of the tool. So what started out with being able to solve super simple questions is now starting to get into solving much more complicated questions with much more complicated data sets. So now our generative AI chatbot, which is out of Slack, we've just launched a Chrome extension as well that allows it to be like brought into other SaaS tools. Uh, it does about 2,500 questions a month. So that's one every five minutes for the whole of Travelperk. So Harry, do you want to just explain how you use... AI in your sort of daily life. Yeah, I mean, we're an, we're an AI company, so it'd be pretty concerning if we didn't <laughs> use any. Um, we have, so I'm in quite an odd position because because I'm GC, I also am like sort of the first testing user within my team of anything that is coming out. We also have an internal chatbot that's only, it's not third party, it's not available to anyone else, it's fully uh, proprietary internally. But that actually is a relatively small part of the AI we use. It is functional for the business. Um, most of what we do as a company is about contract analytics and contract review. We're more about scale. So it's if you are a huge conglomerate that has, well, we're talking about regulatory change, like if there's a change in a contract, right? So let's say there's a change in law, privacy shield is you know outlawed, whatever, everyone needs to check. We need to do a million DPAs and some of our customers do literally need to do millions of DPAs. Um, how do you identify which contracts are up to date, which ones were are still in force, et cetera? Doing that at scale would have been you know, thousands of hours of paralegal time or um, you know, external counsel fees or just wasted internal time. That's sort of our primary focus in terms of sort of a customer facing thing. But we have uh, live contract negotiation. So one of the uh, main changes about when it was mentioned about change of law, it can just be your change of position. So our tool just works. Let's say you open a document in Word, everything gets traffic lit, green, yellow, red. Green means you've seen this a million times, this is completely fine conceptually. And that is the big difference between sort of a decision tree based tool and something that has a genuine conceptual understanding of the meaning behind a clause. Yellow is not, this is wrong, this is, we've not seen this before, this is statistically unusual, or this is unusual in your own documents, right? So you might have negotiated a million DPAs, you've, this has never been in any of your DPAs, or is just unusual in your DPAs. Red is only where you have specifically said for you as a business, I am diverging from the model. So, you know, our model is about 150 million contract database, we may have a very standard position that's common across that, but that might not work for you as a business. Your business can say, actually, here's our, our preferred position, green light that. Now, whenever 
something contrary to that, even if it's fine for absolutely everyone else, it'll come up as red. Now, we obviously use that every time we negotiate a contract with a third party as well, and it accelerates it. And we have a generative AI tool within that where you can ask questions of those documents. So we're using that at sort of the large scale, you know, we're going to do a big DD exercise or compliance exercise. We're doing it at the daily level, negotiating individual contracts, and we're doing it in, I, actually, it sounds more sophisticated where you are, um, on the sort of uh, internal stakeholder side of supporting the business to answer simple questions. There's this thing about um, everyone goes, lawyers must embrace generative AI. Well, firstly, I find that really cringy because, I mean, do you really want to embrace somebody you don't know? <laughs> it's quite risky. Um, the other thing is, it won't be too late. This is really fast moving. You can buy your first iPhone now, 15 years later, and it's better or it does a load more stuff. On the other hand, it's kind of worth, it's worth looking at because it can do a lot of cool things and it's also quite fun. The only thing I would say is you're going to play with it. Don't put anything sensitive on there. And there's quite a lot of opportunities to have a go. So that's my sort of take on that. And the other thing is, there's Microsoft Copilot, which is £24 per user per month. Now, if there's lots and lots in a big company, that's going to be budget. But if it's just, you know, if you want to do it, that's a, f a new technology in a familiar in a familiar interface because it's all everyone uses Microsoft. So there's there's ways of getting to know it that that aren't that are accessible and not super expensive. I suppose there's that there'll be a lot of people here who are in very small in-house legal teams that are probably concerned about the amount of time and resource that would be taken to test something, but actually they see that there actually could be real, you know, real use for generative AI because they are such a small in-house team. And is there anything that you can sort of say to them around sort of the time and resource? I mean, how long are we taking, do you think? I mean, I know it's difficult to put an exact figure on that. Yeah, I mean, so I've been a sole counsel, I've run like reasonably large teams, so I've got empathy with anybody that's in that situation. And I think, uh, particularly as a sole counsel, you uh, are, it is a resource business and you have to pick and choose what it is you're going to focus on. Um, it certainly helps if there's a tool that can answer things when you're not available to answer things. Right? And, uh, and one of my priorities in my last role where I started Sol and built the team out, um, one of my priorities there was to give people the ability to get information that I wasn't gatekeeping, right? And that speaks to the need here. So again, if anybody in the room, and essentially your question was, where do I start with this kind of stuff? And the answer is, what's the need, right? And, and how do you find a need? What's the thing that's most painful to you, right? Lean into the pain, understand why that's a problem, right? And solve that problem first. Again, I, I think to pick up on Harry's point, it's kind of, like, it's so tempting, and particularly legal, like, legal tech salespeople, um, I'm sure uh, Luminance accepted, are really bad at selling features to you. Like, wouldn't it be great if you had a dashboard? And you go, yeah, dashboard would be great. I can get this, like, front door in, and I've got graphs, and there's, like, time to close metrics and all this kind of stuff. Like, that's the illusion of control. That's not solving a need. That's not actually moving the paperwork forward for you whilst you're not there, okay? It's just giving you a gizmo. You don't need gizmos, right? You need to make things move. So whatever the thing is, whatever the process is that you do most, whatever the thing is that you just think... Oh, I don't. I really don't want to have to do this again. Or there's that. I'm giving the same answer to the same person constantly because, again, 
it's not just that the acquisition cost of knowledge is zero, it's also that people don't retain information anymore. Like this is one thing that we noticed on our original non-GPT chatbot. People would ask the same question on a, about a one monthly cadence. Like it told you that last month. The answer, the answer hasn't changed, but it's like, I don't need to remember this because now I know where I can go, go and get it, right? So if you're the person that they go to and get it from, the fact that, you're, like, that it's you and it's a waste of your time is completely irrelevant, right? They're just going to keep on answering you that question. So again, start with the need. Where's the pain, right? And even better if you can think, where's the pain for my customer? What are they actually trying to achieve here, right? Like, how is this relevant to their sales process? How can I create a joyful experience for them that's facilitated by technology, right? Because again, the, chat, the, the, the bot that we're talking about gets me out of the way, but it also delivers a fantastic experience for the customer. They're getting information on demand in their language 24 hours a day. Hello, Joanna. Thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me and thanks for a really interesting discussion and a wonderful day. So we obviously covered a lot of ground today in our discussion about AI, but I know, Joanna, that there was one other area that we didn't manage to discuss. Do you want to talk about that? Well, there was one thing I'd like to elaborate on slightly um, that was mentioned by Andy Cook when he advised people when they were considering using generative AI to find a use case for it and to look for the pain points. And this is a bit more like... um, It's applying a traditional MBA strategy to new technology. So if you look at generative AI and all the cool things that it can do, it can can write stuff and it can can turn documents into emails and emails into documents and so on and so forth. It can respond to questions and you can interrogate documents so you don't have to worry about it getting something weird off the internet. Um, The thing is, it's about applying that MBA strategy. So think about where you are now and what it can do to help you where you want to be. And, and find your generative AI sweet spot. So you've got a few steps on the scale. So you've got assisted intelligence, where the user does most of the work. So that's looking for information in a, in a big document, um, generating summaries, generating emails. Then augmented intelligence is what Andy was talking about, using a conversational agent. So that's, it's not talking, but you could make one that talked. Um, in a choice of five different voices. Um, you can interrogate documents, research topics, and you can learn prompt engineering, which is a new skill. So that sounds really difficult, but what it is, is learning to ask the right sort of questions to give you the sort of answers that, that you're looking for. So, and the next one is autonomous intelligence, where AI does most of the work. Now, law firms aren't quite there, but they're working towards it. So you could create a set of prompts for certain types of research or diligence, and you could imply them to an entire collection of documents or cases. Now, there's one thing I really didn't say, and I should have, um, (laughs) which is with anything AI, feedback is really important. Um, And law firms like surveys, but surveys are subjective. So Google Maps and Tesla... They build feedback into the system. They know how you use it, so they don't have to ask you about it. 
So that is one of the things is use it strategically, use it on something real, because again, it generates a new response every time. So it's not going to work on a hypothetical question. Don't use it on something confidential because it collects your data. That's why it's cheap. And basically play with it. It's, it's fun. Um, I, I got it to write my column in Shakespearean sonnets, but unfortunately the uh, Gazette weren't going to have that. <laughs> that sounds like it would be really interesting. <laughs> so, Joanna, there's two big hot topics at the moment. One is AI, but the other is ESG. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, yeah, about how the two interact. Well, ESG is um, environmental, social and governance. So on a firm level, this is about policy and your firm policy. And again, Andy touched upon this one too, about exactly how you set parameters around your AI usage. So deciding when to use them, setting those parameters and providing guidelines and possibly prompt guides, templates to help people. Um, bit like it's a bit like um, having a private cloud or something. It's basically your responsibility to make this work in a way that works for the firm and it, all its stakeholders. So that's the people internal stakeholders, and it's also clients external stakeholders and society, because on a societal level, how digitized legal services use AI will shape society i.e. how accessible they are and how fair they are because, um, you know, having an automatic response may not necessarily be fair. So on a little bit of a soapbox on the environmental front, um, generative AI uses loads of computing power to train them, um, a lot, lot of GPU and water. So prior to the integration of GPT-4, Researchers estimated that a generative AI chatbot would use 500 milliliters of water, so that's a normal water bottle, for every 20 questions and answers. So Microsoft, which likes to be seen as climate conscious, um, is transparent about its energy use. So we know its water usage spiked by 34% um, in the last year, owing to increased demand for cooling in data centers, which is where Bing Chat and ChatGPT live. So it's no good saying you're a leading AI adopter, and but you've got bees on the roof, because this is also about your, your carbon footprint. So although everyone's being urged to embrace generative AI, you also need to consider its impact on your firm, on legal services, and on society, because laws are a societal construct and decide what sort of footprint you want to leave and whether it may be worth treading a little bit more lightly. So many thanks, Joanna, for your time today. It's been really useful and really informative. Thank you very much. And thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Sarah Williamson talking to Joanna Goodman. Thanks to you for listening. And you can follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to find out anything more about us, then go to boysturner.com. Goodbye.